Well, good morning, Peachtree. It is such a blessing for us to get to be together today. And I'm excited to share with you uh, not only today's message, but after the message is complete and before I offer the benediction, I'm going to have a time of sharing with you about some of our plans that are unfolding for the fall. And so I hope that you'll stay tuned all the way to the very end of our broadcast today and our worship experience so that I can share with you some of the important and exciting things that are coming up for Peachtree in the months ahead. But I want to begin today by asking you to imagine that you are a teenage girl, say around 15 years old, and your deepest desire is to become an Olympic gymnast. And so all of your life is surrendered to the task, to the discipline, to the effort of what it might mean for you to do what it takes to become an Olympian. And so every aspect of your life seems to be surrendered and controlled by others. You almost feel like an object as you're passed from one different expert to another. You've got your physical therapist, you've got your emotional coach, you've got your gymnastics coach, you've got your tutor. You're the kind of person that spends more time with your coach than you do with your parents. You're the kind of person who spends more time practicing than you do in school. Every little bit of your life is scripted. What you eat, where you go, what you will wear, what you will do. And you place your hands into the trust of all of these other people. Imagine that one of those people is your personal and special physician. And this is a person who has taken an oath to do no harm. But that this physician violates that trust and abuses you. You keep quiet about it. You're ashamed. You're scared. You're confused. You don't know what to do. And so you bury it deep within and try to hide from the horror that happened. As you might have guessed, this is not purely an imaginary story or a hypothetical tale. This was the reality for over 250 young girls who accused a man by the name of Larry Nasser, who was an expert doctor working with many of the U.S. Olympic gymnasts. And this doctor was convicted of seven counts and sentenced to 150 years in prison for his crime, for the tragedy that he inflicted upon his victims. How did this go on for so long? It's because nobody said anything. And in fact, the woman who finally had the courage to step forward, this woman here, Rachel Denhollander, she is the one who 16 years after she was a 15-year-old girl entrusted to his supposed care, she is the one who finally stepped forward. In 2018, at Larry Nasser's trial, she was one who was now an attorney with four children of her own. And while she was confronting him at his sentencing, she said these words. She said, I pray you experience the soul-crushing weight of guilt so you may someday experience true repentance and true forgiveness from God, which you need far more than forgiveness from me, though I extend that to you 
as well. Can you imagine the courage of not only stepping forward to be able to, against the wishes of her church and of many people who were encouraging her the other direction, imagine not only the courage it took to step forward to accuse, but also to forgive. I don't know about you, but that kind of forgiveness is disarming as well as inspiring. But the question for me is not so much how amazing that is. The question for me is, how does something like that happen? What has to happen in someone's soul that they can get to the point of forgiving like that? That's what I want to talk with you about today. How can we get to that kind of forgiveness? We're in the midst of a series of messages that's called Uncertain Times. We're talking about how this world that we live in is incredibly unpredictable, and yet God is faithfully reliable through it all. In doing this, we're looking at the life of King David and how David in that late Bronze Era, his life in particular, but also the world that around him, is one episode after another of unpredictability. In fact, there are things for David that were in the plan. Let me share those with you right now. To slay a giant, to defeat the invaders, to get married to a beautiful woman, to become next in line to be the king, and to find a best friend. Check, 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 check. David did all those things. But then there were a lot of things that were not in the plan. And they were like this. Discover that the king is an ungodly fraud. Make my father-in-law insanely jealous. Have a price on my head put my wife and friend in jeopardy and become a fugitive and enter the ancient equivalent of the witness protection program. None of these things were in the cards for David. He didn't want to do any of these things. And yet his life flipped over and over again. And we find that David throughout his journey not only knows how to fight, and we've seen that he knows how to flee, but today, we're going to discover that David knows how to do that disarming and inspiring thing. He knows how to forgive. And so we're going to look at 1 Samuel chapter 24, and we're going to start reading in the first verse. After Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, he was told David is in the desert of En Gedi. And so Saul took 3,000 able young men from all of Israel and set out to look for David and his men near the crag of the wild goats. He came to the sheep pens along the way. A cave was there, and Saul went in to relieve himself. I'm assuming you don't need me to explain what this means in the ancient Hebrew and that this is fairly self-explanatory from what the text says. David and his men were far back in this particular cave. And the men said, this is the day that the Lord spoke of when he said to you, I will give your enemy into your hands for you to deal with as you wish. And then David crept up unnoticed and cut off a corner of Saul's robe. Afterward, David was conscience stricken for having cut off a corner of his robe. He said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, or lay my hand on him for he is anointed of the Lord. And with these words, David sharply rebuked his men and did not allow them to attack Saul. And Saul left the cave and he went his way. Then David went out of the cave and called out to Saul, my Lord, the king. And when Saul looked behind him, David bowed down and prostrated himself with his face to the ground. 
He said to Saul, why do you listen when men say David is bent on harming you? This day you have seen with your own eyes how the Lord delivered you into my hands in the cave. And some urged me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not lay my hand on my Lord because he is the Lord's anointed. See, my father, look at this piece of your robe in my hand. I cut off the corner of your robe, but did not kill you. See, that there is nothing in my hand to indicate that I am guilty of wrongdoing or rebellion. I have not wronged you, but you are hunting me to take my life. May the Lord judge between you and me, and may the Lord avenge the wrongs you have done to me, but my hand will not touch you. As the old saying goes, From evildoers come evil deeds, so my hand will not touch you. May God bless not only the hearing and the receiving, but also the enacting, the putting into practice of this his holy word. This story takes place in this location. It is the wilderness or the desert that's located next to the Dead Sea. It looks almost identical today as it would have 3,000 years ago. This is a wilderness adjacent to the lowest place on earth. And in the midst of this desolation is a beautiful little oasis. This is what it looks like. It is known as En Gedi, kind of the place of the wild goats. There are famous kind of date plants here. There are a one-of-a-kind orchid that lives in this place, unique around all the world. 800 million gallons of water from fresh springs pour into this amazing little pool and series of pools in the midst of an arid desert. The good news is, is that this is a fairly remarkable place if you were journeying to be able to find reliable food and water. So it's A very good reason that David is hiding in this place. That's the good news. The bad news is, is that En Gedi is also a box canyon. And so if you're in there, there's almost no other way out. David has been hiding from Saul because Saul over and over again is trying to kill David for nothing that David has done wrong. Saul is just jealous. And so in order for us to figure out how to forgive, I need you to figure out who's your King Saul. And I mean that specifically. I don't mean that someone like King Saul from the standpoint of some person you don't know, but you don't like. I mean, who is someone in your life who has done wrong to you that you need to forgive, who is chasing you, pursuing you, and won't let it go? Forgiveness will never be enacted in abstract. So even in this moment right now, as you're looking at your screen, I'm asking you to figure out the face, the name, a person specifically. Write it down if you need to, of someone who needs to be forgiven. And as you have done that, I want to remind you of these words of C.S. Lewis. Everyone says forgiveness is a lovely idea until 
they have something to forgive. This is going to be really hard in terms of forgiveness. Not talking about it, but doing something about it. And so I want to talk about kind of the different facets or the different keys to forgiveness that we discover in today's story. Restraint, respect, a reality check, release, and either repair or retreat of the relationship. And so let's start with first things first. Restraint. David is in the cave. Saul comes unwittingly, unknowingly into the cave by himself. The 3,000 men that he's brought with him can't protect him in this moment of privacy. David is there. He is with his men. He has the means. He has the motive. He has every opportunity to remove Saul so that he doesn't ever have to deal with this again. But instead of cutting David, instead of coming King Saul's throat, David strangely cuts his tassels. I'll show you a picture of what this would have looked like in the ancient world. And I'm going to explain to you a little later in the message what the tassels symbolized. For now, suffice this to say, is that David shows incredible restraint by laying down his desire and his willingness to get back or get even with King Saul. I want to show you a picture of my wife and me on our wedding day. We got married on June 12th of 1999, and so we've been married for 21 years. And our wedding day was incredibly special and filled with all kinds of different surprises. As a part of the ceremony, we asked um, one of my best friends from college, a friend by the name of Gabe, to, to read the New Testament lesson. And so we asked Gabe to read Romans 12, 9 through 18, and Gabe took his Bible up to the the pulpit and he began to read and when he got to verse 18 he did not stop he kept going this is what Gabe read at our wedding do not take revenge my dear friends but leave room for God's wrath for it is written it is mine to avenge I will repay says the Lord on the contrary if your enemy is hungry feed him if he is thirsty give him something to drink in doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Go ahead in your homes right now, raise your hand if you read this passage or chose this passage to be read on your day of bliss and marital joy. I'm pretty sure that none of you did. We wouldn't have chosen this passage. It was read as an accident. But strangely enough, this is some of the best marriage advice that I have ever received. Because in the dance of life, you are going to step on each other's toes. And there are going to be those moments where you want to get back at the person and to pay them back for what you've done. Forgiveness is laying down your right to get back at another. That's what forgiveness is. And it will take incredible restraint because you and I are going to be in moment after moment after moment in this life choosing, are we going to get back or are we going to lay it down? And the remarkable thing that King David does is that even with his friends whispering in his ears, he chooses the path of restraint. The second key to forgiveness is this. It's respect. It's respect. I hope you noticed in today's passage the incredible language that David used in order to be able to describe King Saul. And what I mean by that is he calls him his Lord, his anointed, his king. He calls him his master. 
again and again, the language that he's using, even behind Saul's back, is one of incredible respect. Let me tell you this, what you say about another person behind their back is one of the clearest indications of the purity of your soul and your motives. And over and over again, we feel the freedom to be able to disrespect others by the way that we use our words and talk about them. And I think that's ever more acute today. And what I mean by this is is that it doesn't mean that you have to respect that other person's desires. It doesn't mean you have to respect the decisions that they've made. You, You don't have to respect what they've done, especially if they've wronged you. I'm not telling you to to trade truth for falsehood. What I am telling you is this, is that you and I are called to love our enemies. Earlier this year at the National Prayer Breakfast, author by the name of Arthur Brooks delivered a message on this of love your enemies. Here's a copy of the book that I highly commend to you on this subject. And the subtitle says it so well, how decent people can save America from a culture of contempt. What is contempt? He defines it in this particular way. He says that contempt is the unsullied conviction of worthlessness of the other. The minute that you are convinced that the other person is worthless, is the moment that you have moved from love into contempt. And so here's the bottom line with what I mean by this. And I hope that you'll say this out loud with me wherever you are. Look at the screen and say these words. No one deserves forgiveness and no one is unworthy of forgiveness. Let's say that again. No one deserves forgiveness and no one is unworthy of forgiveness. Do you see the difference? Over and over again, people come to me, like that person doesn't deserve my forgiveness. Of course they don't. But that doesn't mean that they are unworthy of forgiveness. In Matthew chapter 18, Jesus tells a story. He tells a story about a king who forgives somebody an incredible debt, more than he could ever pay. And then after he's forgiven that debt and he's whistling and walking on his way home, he runs into a guy who owes him $5. And he throws the guy into jail because of the little debt that he owes him. In this story, we're all shocked by the ingratitude and the loss of perspective of that ungrateful servant. And yet behind that story is a powerful reality that we all fall prey to, to which N.T. Wright puts it like this. He says, we see ourselves as mere ordinary sinners, but we see others as extreme sinners. We are favorable to God, extending the lavish grace towards us. And yet we are stingy when we discover that God wants us to extend his grace through us to someone else. As Mirazov Wolf put it in looking back on the horrors of the Croatian tragedy and the Balkan violence that he experienced in his childhood, he puts it like this. He says, forgiveness flounders because I exclude the enemy from the community of humans, even as I exclude myself from the community of sinners. David is remarkable in his forgiveness because as awful as King Saul is to him, he never for a moment excludes him from the dignity of the image of God 
and moves him to someone who is unworthy. And so forgiveness begins with restraint. It continues with respect. But there comes a moment in order for forgiveness to be genuine that there's got to be a reality check. David doesn't just hide in the cave and not come out of the cave to confront King Saul. Oh, he comes out of the cave. And even though he's outmatched and outgunned from the number of people who are pursuing him, David boldly walks out into the open and he holds up that tassel that he's cut off from King Saul and he confronts him. And here's where the tassel is important. The tassel in the Hebrew scriptures in the Old Testament are the symbols of our obedience to God. And with those tassels, what David is doing is telling Saul what his chief sin is, which is that Saul wants all the authority and all the power of God without obedience to God. And so David confronts Saul by presenting his sin before him And he says, Saul, this is what your problem is. David tells the truth. When you think about truth-telling, one of the most remarkable moments in history is the Truth and Reconciliation Commission of what took place in the aftermath of the dismantling of apartheid in South Africa. Here's a picture of Desmond Tutu and some of the proceedings and processes of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. Desmond Tutu is famous for saying that there's no future without forgiveness. But I love the name of the truth and reconciliation, that without truth, reconciliation is not going to be possible. Desmond Tutu has actually written a fantastic book called The Book of Forgiving with his daughter, She brings more of the academic and the steady side of things, and he brings the practical experience of his journey and what that entails. I highly commend this book to you. And there's two aspects of telling the truth that they say in this that I think is so important for us to know. And that is this. We've got to tell the story, and we've got to name the hurt. It won't really be forgiveness if the story is never told and if the hurt is not named. And so forgiveness begins with restraint. It continues with respect. But then it takes a reality check. And then after that reality check, there comes a moment within you when you need to release. You know, we talked earlier about restraint, and that's kind of a holding back. But the interesting thing from my experience is that sometimes you can hold back from revenge and you've done that, but you can still harbor the resentment. And so there comes a process by which in the moment of forgiving where you are going to have to do a bold and courageous act within your own soul, within your own mind, you're going to have to let it go. I was in my first year of ministry when I was still dealing with the aftermath of a friend who had done something that I felt like was a betrayal. And I had been holding on to it for quite a while now. I was in a fellow pastor's office and he was entrusted with the care of my soul at this of my age. And 
he asked me to grab a Kleenex off of the counter that was kind of next to the chair where I was sitting as I was explaining to him the betrayal and the hurt that I had experienced. And when I grabbed that Kleenex, I was laughing with him because I'm like, I'm really not all that emotional about this. I, I don't need this. I'm not going to cry. And he said, it's not for your tears. You're holding on to that Kleenex right now. I want you to let it go. I'm like, what? This is kind of ridiculous. He's like, you got to let it go. And I let it go and it falls to the ground. And he's like, you've got to do the same thing with your hurt. And I'm like, I feel like you're belittling my hurt. And he's like, oh, no, I'm not belittling your hurt. Not one bit. What I'm telling you is not easy, but it is simple. You have a choice to make. You can either hang on to this, or you can let it go. I'm imagining that there's something for you right now. Uh, could be from a friend, could be from somebody who's a loved one, a family member, might even be someone that you don't know all that well, but there's something that you are hanging on to and it's as simple as letting it go. I'm not telling you it won't be hard. I'm not telling you that it won't be a process. But we are commanded to do so. Over and over again, Jesus commands us to forgive as the Lord has forgiven us. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be like that ungrateful servant. And so forgiveness begins with restraint. It continues with respect. It takes a reality check. Then there's a moment of release. And then there comes, what are you going to do with the relationship? Are you going to repair it? Or are you going to retreat? For David, the relationship could not be repaired. David could not put himself back into Saul's care couldn't be trusted. And so David goes to this place. This is what it looks like from drone footage today. It is a place called Masada. Masada means stronghold in Hebrew. David goes to a stronghold place where Saul cannot get him. Let me be clear in this. Forgiveness is always required, but reconciliation is not always possible. As one of my friends, Renee Schlepfer, who preached for us this summer virtually, puts it this way. He says, mercy will not always be rewarded. There's a difference between grace and gullibility. You have to forgive, but you don't have to trust. So many of us get this wrong. Forgiveness is about what happens within your soul, within your heart, within your mind. You and I are always called to forgive. And if we don't forgive, the ricochet of the damage within us is always greater than the initial harm. But that doesn't mean you have to become a doormat and you have to let that person walk all over your life. You do not have to trust them. They have to earn that trust back. Forgiveness is about grace. Trust takes faith and time. I want to close with this. Thomas Edison is one of the most famous inventors in our country's history, and particularly for his pioneering work on the light bulb. One day when Thomas Edison was in his laboratory, 
He was working on a light bulb. And if you, if you know the journey of this portion of our history of electricity, that it could sometimes take over 100 hours just to make one prototype bulb that they would test. And so one time, Thomas Edison was working on one of these bulbs, and he finished it after days and days and days of work. And he turned to a boy who was a runner to take that upstairs to where the testing room was. And the boy was not careful, and he tripped, and he fall on, fell on the stairs, and the bulb crashed. Thomas Edison immediately went back to work without saying a word. Several days later, hours and hours of work into replicating the same bulb, Thomas Edison finished another one. And when he finished it, he turned to the same boy who was trying to hide in the back of the shop. And he said, come here. He said, take this. Please try again. And cautiously, gingerly, the boy took it upstairs. My dear friends, our inventor, our creator, over and over again entrusts us with the gift of life and of light. And there are going to be moments when we trip and we stumble and we fall. And not a single one of us is deserving of forgiveness. And yet God, in the richness of his love and his abundant mercy, one of the things that we know is that we are called to forgive one another because God in Christ has forgiven us. Your creator, your inventor says, please try again. Please try again. Please try again. There is no future without forgiveness. And what you may discover, like Rachel Den Hollander, is that it is not only the accusation and the confrontation, but the compassion that enables us to move forward. God is a God of justice, and we can entrust the restoration of all things to him. And so we can experience restraint instead of revenge. And we can practice the ability to let it go, even when we've been harmed. It won't be easy, but it actually is simple. And when we do it, it will shine like an oasis in the midst of a desolate land. And so let us pray. Our gracious and our heavenly Father, there are people who have exhibited great courage, like not only Rachel and Hollander and King David, to inspire and to disarm us with the gift of what forgiveness might look like in this world. So much of the uncertainty that we face is the uncertainty in our relationships. So much of the unpredictability of our lives is the lack of reconciliation between one brother and one sister to another. 
Lord, help us to not only know how to fight and to flee, but also to forgive. Help us to be like a spring in the desert. Help us to face those who have harmed us and to allow the truth to set us free. Thank you, God, that you are a God of justice and of mercy and that we can trust you with our lives. And Lord, I pray for anybody whose relationship needs to be repaired or for the person who needs to retreat, that forgiveness is always required and reconciliation may not always be possible. But you are the great creator, the inventor, who says over and over again, try again, try again, try again. Amen.